in the 1970s, <clears throat> Annie Dillard won a Pulitzer Prize for a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I love Annie Dillard, and it's my least favorite book of hers, which says more about me than Dillard, of course. And if you, if you, wanna, if you haven't read Dillard and you try to, um, I would start not with Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, but with her autobiography or f with a book called Teaching a Stone to Talk. But in Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, there's this amazing chapter called Seeing. And she tells in this chapter called Seeing the story about when Western surgeons discovered how to perform safe cataract surgeries on adults and children, thereby um, bringing people who were born blind and giving them, them sight for the first time in their lives. The, the results, the surgeries were successful, but the, the psychological results of these surgeries were, were mixed. Um, what was uniform among all of the people is that people who were born blind and were made seeing had zero sense of scale, of just what, what Dillard calls the tremendous size of the world, height and depth and texture. They, they had no idea. So, for example, there was a little girl who, who now was seeing, and she was asked how big her large father was, and she held up her two index fingers about two inches apart. She had no idea. There was a man who wore boots, and, and he would constantly take off one of his boots and throw it like six or eight feet and was just continually stunned that he just couldn't reach out his hand and grab the boot. Just no sense of scale whatsoever. There was a boy who was given um, lemonade for the first time. And, and because it was a little sour, they asked him, what, what, is it, what is it? And he said, it's square because it has an edge to it. Just no sense whatsoever of all of that. Tragically, just that learning curve from that tragically led to a lot of despair. And there were a significant number of these patients who, in daylight, would just close their eyes, returning to the land of four senses and a world that was manageable to touch alone. There were successes. Um, and Dillard tells the story of a little girl who shortly after her procedure, was taken to a garden and was just stunned at this one particular tree, and she would just keep her hands on the tree and on the bark, and it was fall, and the leaves were glorious, and she would look up, and she would call it the tree with the lights in it. It was another little girl. What, what just astonished her, she couldn't believe it, that her every visitor had a unique face. She had no idea. I think about all of that because of this gospel story about blind Bartimaeus. And I think all of those stories about those surgeries um, is it's just a poignant reminder for those of us who hear Bartimaeus' story not to spiritualize it too quick, not to read it too quickly. There was a whole series of, of, of years before this particular moment. There's a whole series of years, if not decades, after Bartimaeus regains his sight. John's gospel has a, a it's, it's, maybe it's not a version of this story, but it kind of feels like it. And it's easy to compare and even confuse the two. John tells the story of the man born blind. This is not Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus longs to regain his sight. 
What we don't know about Barnabas is how long he had been blind. If it was just years or, or, or decades. Did he lose his sight as a child? We have no idea. But it's probably best to imagine that he had for a long time, for a long time been in darkness, only knowing the world by touch having no idea or just no sense or had lost the sense of, of scale and all of that. We also don't know, once he's given his sight back again, if he was also given a sense of scale, of sense of particularity. Was that a part of the miracle? Or did Bartimaeus struggle like some of those patients after cataract surgery did he struggle with just the, the, what Dillard calls the tremendous size and feel of the world? Did he sometimes close his eyes, returning to the world of four senses in a world that was manageable because it's within arm's reach? We don't know, but it's fascinating to imagine. Anytime a, a healing occurs or something miraculous in the Gospels, it begs the question of why it happens here and not everywhere, which is a, a, a profound uh, theological and ethical question. Why, would, why Bartimaeus and not someone else? Why here and not everywhere? John's Gospel has, I think, a, a really uh, comforting and reasonable take on all of this. Now, this story from this gospel for today is not from John's gospel, but we're named after John's gospel. And I think that always gives me permission as a preacher to talk about my favorite gospel, which is John's. <laughs> what John has a, a word, a, a particular word for all of these miracles, when, when someone is healed, or when the 5,000 are fed, or when the water is changed into wine, John calls it signs. You also could translate into the word symbol. It means exactly the same thing. And for John, these, these healings, these feedings are signs of, or symbols of something more. And what John means by that is not at all abstract. He, he means that these particular occasions point beyond themselves to something more. So a particular healing, for it to be a sign or a symbol, for us to truly get it, means we've got to look beyond it and not, not just get obsessed with the particularity of what just happened, but instead look beyond it to see where God in other places is healing. Look beyond the feeding of the 5,000 once to see where other tables, other occasions where the poor are being fed, where we're receiving from God's gracious bounty, where other feedings occur. In other words, to look not for the episodic or occasional miracle, that's not enough, but instead to look for a pattern, a pattern in the world where God is healing, where God is feeding, where God is restoring, where God is bring, bringing peace out of violence. That's what we're looking for. That's what matters. Not a mere episode. Where is the pattern? And I think for, for us as, as Christians, as Episcopalians, for us as the church, when we, when we discover the pattern 
That's when our eyes are opened. That's when the eyes of our faith can deal with the scale and the depth and the height and the breadth and the texture of God's presence and action in this world. So, for example, when we, when we notice healing occurring throughout the world, we begin to see God throughout the world. And that healing might occur dramatically in, in a church service at a, at a very religious table like this. It might occur at, at, at a feeding program at a nonprofit. It might occur because um, politicians do a good job of supporting and expanding the WIC, problem, WIC program for women's infants and children. And, and God is in all of that. That's the pattern. That's the pattern. And that's when we know and experience God, when we, when we see all of that, that scale. Not if you're following me. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? You didn't nod. I need to keep preaching. <laughs> it's about seeing God, and not just in one place, but everywhere. And not just in Bartimaeus, but in me and you. And not just in the touch of Jesus, but in our touch, in our relationships, and all of these very small things that sometimes don't feel like they matter much in the scale of reality actually matter a great deal. God's economy is amazing. Small things add up, and every little bit is a part of what's gigantic about God's presence and healing. There's a, um, we use this children's program called Godly Play, which is amazing. Um, and it's amazing because the, the, you, you've got a, um, a storyteller who will present like a parable or a story of Bartimaeus. And it's the storyteller's job basically never to tell the children what it means. And the storyteller's job is to ask these, these wondering questions that don't have one answer. And, and it's, this one's a wonderful program for children, I think, for adults. And one of the, the wondering questions is, I wonder what the most important part of this story is. Now, how we answer that question says more about us than the story. But I wonder what the most important part of the story is. And I wonder if the most important part of this story about Bartimaeus is what happens before he regains his sight. I wonder if the most important part of the story is when Jesus takes the time to say to Bartimaeus, perhaps holding his hands or perhaps putting his hands on his shoulders and says, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder if that's the most important part. What do you want me to do for you? I wonder how long it took Bartimaeus to answer. I suspect not very long. He appears to me as the kind of person who knew exactly what he wanted and exactly what he needed. I wonder if Jesus asks us the same question, how long it would take us to respond. I can answer that personally. I know my mind. And if Jesus asks me that question, I know that I'm going to say, Lord, give me a week or two and I'll get back to you. <laughs> That's because if I've got one chance, I want to get it exactly right. But what about you? Do you know what you would say? Would you answer quickly because you just know? Or would you take a few moments or days or even weeks? That's the most important part of the story, how you would answer.